We're going to press right on in. We're in a series we've been doing called Here's the Thing. And um, what this series is about is it's based off a scripture in Romans 14, 17, where Paul says that the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And what we've been saying is that as followers of Christ, as believers, we should be experiencing a measure of peace and joy in our lives, regardless of circumstance and everything's going on. It's, it's where we find life as uh, followers of Christ. We've also been saying that a lot of things try and get in the way and steal that from us. We have an enemy who's constantly trying to steal life from us, and we have our own issues that we need to get into and ask the Lord to heal in order that we can experience um, life in the way He's called us to. And so uh, along with that, we've been sort of looking at an Exodus theme that runs throughout Scripture where God is constantly trying to rescue us from slavery and bondage and bring us into the promised land, and the enemy's always trying to drag us back into it. So all these themes have been kind of running together in this series. Today what I want to do is I, I want to talk about one of the things that we do, a thing behind the thing, in that we have a tendency to try and put God into a box of our own making and the issues that that causes and and ways that we can try and not do that any longer in our lives. So that's the intro. Transition, always a joke or something or something going on. So this bad joke attempt. uh, When I swapped our bed for a trampoline, my wife hit the roof. (laughs) Now, I know that's a really silly joke, but here's here's what I want to tell you. When I saw that, I started to laugh because it reminded me of a, a situation in our life. So, um, uh, I don't know, depending on how long you've been here, some of you know this, some of you don't. For most of my adult life, I was much bigger than I am right now. Uh, and so I spent most of my adult life, like I said, running somewhere between 300 and 350 pounds. And, and uh, so I was a, a larger person. Uh, and my wife, she's floating around here somewhere. She's, she's pretty much been the same size the whole, whole time. So I was a lot bigger. Well, back in the late 80s, we decided it would be a really good idea to get a water bed. A lot of people were getting water beds. This was going to be a tremendous idea, and so we went, and we got a waterbed. So, um, when, when uh, much bigger, uh, when I would sleep, when I would roll over, I didn't do it gracefully. I sort of shifted up and popped back down again. Well, on the waterbed, seriously, what would happen is when I would do that and roll over, I would, it would create sort of a wave, and it would toss Alice out of the bed. Or, or make her go off to the side really bad and hang on. And, and you know, she's like, hey, when she, she's like, you have to learn to roll over gracefully, um, which I never really mastered, and so that bed didn't stay very long. Uh, but it was like that. I'd roll over and pop her off the bed. So that's why that first joke was funny to me. And there you have it. And that's all I got. Scripture reading, here we go. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6. Then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now, and I will speak. I will question you, and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So I want to take a few minutes today in talking about this idea of us putting God in a box. And we're going to go back and we're going to look at the book of Job together to start with. 
which is a, a very fascinating book. So point number one in your notes is this. Let's talk about our God box. Our God box. Um, earlier in the series, we talked about our uh, how culturally we, we don't like being in tension. We're very much sort of bottom line uh, thinking uh, goes on in our culture. We, we want the facts, and that's where we sort of find life. And, and I said that, you know, uh, in the Bible, it's a much different way of thinking. There's things in tension where, where the, it, they hold on to several things at the same time, and, and that's how we're supposed to have life. But we tend to be, no, bottom line it. We need the bottom line. We're going to get the facts, and we're going to go there, and that's going to be what it is. And we take that thinking, that's a very culture, our culture type of thinking, and we, we bring that into our relationship with God. And, and then what we do is we, we sort of take that thinking and we try and bring God down to our level so we can manage Him or control Him in the process. And if you remember uh, in our Exodus sort of talks that we've had over time, after the people have been delivered, God speaks to them about life and He gives them the Ten Words or the Ten Commandments. Uh, and those Ten Commandments are not a way to get life. It's how you're supposed to live life. He'd already done the delivering part uh, in the process. And the, those first three are about our relationship with God. And he said, you know, I have no other gods before me. And we've, we've talked a lot about that, how that gets us in trouble. And then he talks about this idea of a graven image. Well, what that is, that's us trying to bring God down to our level so we can manage him or control him. And, and if we can sort of, we think if we can get God all figured out so he's kind of tidy and manageable and neat, we can get him into this box that we've created. But then what we have is a God of our own image, God in our own image, and he ceases to be God. And, and so it's a struggle that we need to be aware of and that particularly in our culture, that's our tendency. That's what we're going to go. We're going to try and sort of get God into a system that we can manage and, and that's where he's going to be in our lives. Uh, and I want to say this, because of the way that we approach things, we will pretty much continually do that. But you need to be aware of it so that the, the lid can be blown off of that box all the time so you can get stuck there. But you will be trying to sort of move in that direction. And so it's very important that we're aware of what's going on. And, and so I want to just look into Job with you for a little while, sort of see how... Um, we're just they're never going to have a, a box that that can contain God. So the book of Job is a fascinating book, and I hope that you've read it. If you hadn't, you, you should read it at some point in time. But it's different than a lot of scripture that we read, and the reason for that is that um, the the book of Job is is uh, it's Hebrew wisdom literature. It's wisdom literature, and so in the Old Testament there was understanding literature and wisdom literature. Uh, most of the Old Testament would be understanding literature where they would um, give us sort of the, the way that we look at things and usually both sides of things so that we can have some tension. But understanding literature is written differently and what it's supposed to do is it's supposed to help us embrace the fact that we cannot fully sort of plumb the depths of God but that we're going to follow Him anyway because He's good and He's God and He knows better than we do. And so that's what's happening in the book of Job. The, the, the book of Job is it's all about God and our understanding of God that, that He is bigger than us, that, that He is God and we are not. So let's kind of talk about the book for a moment. Uh, you hop into the book of Job and you begin to read and you find out about this guy named Job. And, and God says that Job is a, he's a good dude. 
This is not what the scripture says, but uh, I believe it says that he's a righteous man. Uh, he's a good guy. Job's a good guy. He's, he's living well. He's loving his family. He's doing the next right thing. He's doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing in this life. You, you need to know that. See, a lot of people will try and take Job and change it from, a, from this wisdom literature, and they'll start trying to say, well, here's the things that he was doing wrong, and here's what's being inferred, so that they can get Job to fit into their little box that they have. You can't do that, and, and it doesn't work. He's a righteous man, God says. And so that's what we have. And then all of a sudden, it says we're, we're caught up into the heavenlies. We don't really understand the heavenlies, and they don't give us a whole lot of information here, but there's things going on in the heavenlies that we can't completely fathom. But we say, God, uh, God, there's God in the heavenlies saying, hey, check out Job. My guy Job, he's a good guy. And all of a sudden, the enemy is speaking into it. And we're like, how in the world is that going on? But the enemy says, yeah, yeah, he's only a good guy because of the way that you bless him. Let, let's see what happens if you take all that blessing away from him and see if he still loves you. And God says, all right, go ahead. Now, that should blow the lid off of any box that you try and put God in because I, I don't know about you, but that doesn't fit into the way that I think about God. That God should have said, leave him alone. He's a good dude. Don't mess with him. He's my guy. Don't mess with him. And yet, that's not what happens in the story. And, and, and so, it, it begins to sort of point out the idea that, that God is bigger than us and there's things going on that we don't fully understand. And so uh, you press on into the story and Job loses everything. And then Job is, is gets sick and Job gets boils and, and it's, his life just is completely messed up. Now, he's got some friends that come over, which is cool. His three friends show up and his friends are there to comfort him and, and they're there doing good things and, and uh, they, they kind of hang out with Job for a little while and, and they start to talk to Job and each one of them has something to say and Job's got some things to say and then sometimes they just sit around and don't say anything, which is cool too, but uh, they continue to, to speak. But in effect, um, all three friends, they've got God in their own box and, and what they all say is, Job, uh, you must have done something wrong or this wouldn't be happening to you. That's what they all say. And see, without realizing it, most of us sort of have God in, we've limited him by putting him in a box because that's bottom line what we think is going on. Somehow it's her performance thing and these, these things must be happening because something's not right. And, and see, that's a box that we create to put God in rather than sort of knowing that God is somehow bigger than all that and there's something more going on. See, there's a, there's a majesty to God. There's a sovereignty to God that we can never lose sight of. There's a mystery of our faith that, that we have to hang on to. And we'll sometimes exchange that for a certainty of understanding. But, but see, if you lose the mystery of the faith, you, you lose the adventure and the life and the relationship that we're called to and how amazing it is that the God who created everything calls us into relationship with Him. And we, we don't fully understand Him, but, but we know that He loves us and we know that He's good. And see, all that's going on, but there's a mystery to it all which makes it adventure and exciting and worth living. And he's calling us to those things. And so there's all these chapters of these guys, you know, acting like they've got God all figured out. And then in verse 38, uh, chapter 38, after the whole, it's a big book. All this stuff's going on. God shows up in a whirlwind. I love that. God speaks out of the whirlwind. And he says this in verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. And he says, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself. I, I just went into my God voice. Now prepare yourself. 
like a man, I will question you and you will answer me. I love that whole thing. That's probably not how God sounds. But uh, can you just imagine Job going, He'd just been acting like he had them all figured out, even though they got nothing figured out, and all his friends are there, and God's like, who, who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Just sort of get a picture. And don't forget, he's speaking out of a whirlwind. Don't lose sight of that either, because it's supposed to keep us so that we can't, you know, you can't fathom what that's all about. And, and I love that too, because if you remember when we were looking in Exodus, how did God show up that time to Moses? He showed up in, the, in a burning bush, right? He was speaking out of a burning bush. If you read a little bit further in First in Kings uh, chapter 19, he, God says, look, I'm, get ready. I'm going to come by and speak to you, Elijah. And then all of a sudden, there's this powerful wind that tears the mountains apart. And then, and, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And then there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And, and then there was a fire, but he wasn't in the fire. And then a gentle whisper, and he's in the gentle whisper. It's always different. See, that's so you can't fathom God and you never know exactly how He's going to show up and how He's going to speak because He's God. And so there's, there's these different things happening. You, you can't put Him, oh, He always shows up in a burning bush. He doesn't. In this case, though, He shows up in a whirlwind. And uh, I think that's really poignant too because I would say that nine or ten months ago, God was speaking to all of us in a whirlwind. And it wasn't what we wanted, and it, I, I, you know, it wasn't how, you know, we, I, I was praying hard. It would go away. I didn't understand. Here it comes. But I got to tell you, in the midst of it and in the process of it, God was good. God was real. God made himself known. God was with us. God proved himself. God did all those things. He was speaking even yet out of a whirlwind. We couldn't fathom it all. We didn't understand it all. But he was speaking. And so he shows up this time in, in Job. And, and he, he basically says, Job, now where were you when I created everything? Where were you when I laid the foundation? Where were you when I laid the pillars? What, you know, where were you when all these things happened? And he, he goes on and he's talking to Job, chapter 38, chapter 39, chapter 40, chapter 41. And, and then we pick it up in the last chapter when finally Job answers the Lord. And he says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. That's huge. Thinking of everything that Job has gone through. Job gets to that point. He says, I, I, I come to realize, he says, I can never fully fathom the way that you run the universe. But I know that I can trust you and I know that you're a good God and that you're a righteous God and that you're a just God and that you're a holy God and you're a loving God. And so I'm going to trust you in the process. And then he, he says this. He says, look, you asked me a bunch of questions and here's the answers. He says, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. He's encountered God and now he knows God in a different way. And, and he, he, he gets all of that because he'd heard these things and he thought he understood God, but now he's seen God and he realizes that he didn't understand anything. And in fact, all of that talking that he'd been done, it says, oh, I despise myself for ever thinking like that and I repent because I realize you're so much bigger than all of that. You're so much greater than all of that. You're God and I'm not. And that's huge. In the Bible, when anyone has an encounter with God, they, 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 they changes them forever. 
I, I know I shared a little bit last week about you know my, my encounter with God, my first one. It changed me forever. And, and subsequent encounters like that have changed me. And, and God shows up in significant ways. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah the prophet, who spoke for God, who, who was God's mouthpiece at the time. It says that uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, King Uzziah was a good king in Israel. And it was a bad time for Israel because they weren't sure what was going to happen. And, and it, it, Isaiah says this, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of His robe filled the temple, and above Him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. See, here's this moment when, when it's no longer I'd heard about God, but now I've seen God, and I realize He's not a God that can be managed or tamed or bridled. And that's Isaiah who spoke for God. My lips, God, they're not clean. See, there's this new sort of revelation and understanding of who God is, that, that He's larger than anything that we can imagine. He doesn't fit into our own sort of limited perspective where we're always putting ourselves at the center of the universe and thinking things spin around us, but He's the center of the universe and all things sort of spin around Him. We, we want this manageable, tidy, neat little deity, but if we ever got there, he would cease to be God. And, 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 and He would never be able to do the things that we really look for Him to do in our lives. So we have to avoid the tendency to try and define God in that way, to reduce the mystery of faith to a certainty of understanding. We have to avoid the tendency to try and manage Him in some way and come up with a system where we define Him. Uh, Alice and I, we've, we've been together for a very long time. I say that often. We're, Alice, my wife. And I know Alice better than any person on the planet because we've been together since we were kids, I said earlier, but teenagers. And, and uh, we've been through all sorts of things together, all sorts of things in life. I, I, and so I know her better than I know anybody else. But the reality is I still don't fully know her after all this time. I, I don't. She surprises me every now and again. Any of you guys ever get surprised by your wives? I think I have her figured out, and I don't. And, 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 and so there's this surprise. And, and Alice, is, she's finite. Right? So, you know, she's fine, too, but she's finite, right? She's finite. God is infinite. God is beyond understanding by being infinite. Where in the world, if I can't figure out my wife and get some system going on in that process, why would I ever think that I could actually do that with God, the creator of everything, who's, who's infinite and, and awesome and amazing in every way? But see, the reality is, because I don't fully know my wife yet, I'm drawn to know her more. It doesn't make me want to stop, I'll never figure out. No, it makes, I want to know her more. I'm drawn towards her so that, that I can continue to engage and grow closer together. Well, see, that's what happens with God when we realize that no matter how much we know, we can't fully know. In fact, the more you know, the more you realize you've barely scratched the surface of who He is. It draws you towards Him so that you can know Him more. A couple of series I said ago, I said to you, listen, start every morning by telling God you want to love Him more and know Him better. And that we continue on and we press on in that in our lives. 
Second, that was a long point one, sorry. God's character is not based on circumstance. You, you can't adequately figure out who God is based on your circumstance because circumstance changes all the time. That's why I'm constantly reminding you to read this book, to read the Bible. See, this is how God reveals Himself to us. Uh, in, in 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul said to Timothy, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped, the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed is the word uh, theonoustos. God is theos in the Greek. Noustos is wind or spirit. So it's God-breathed. It's, it's God's breath. God created and breathed into His creation. And, and He still breathes into His creation through the Scripture, through the, through the Word. This is how we know about God. He reveals Himself to us in the book. And so that whether we're on the mountaintop or in the valley, we know that God is love. And whether we're in the mountaintop or the valley, we know that He is good. We, whether it's the mountaintop or the valley, we know that He's righteous. Whether it's the mountaintop or the valley, we know that He's for us. And that He wants to be in relationship with us forever. That, that's revealed to us. He's revealed that to us so that regardless of circumstance, we trust Him and hang on and know that He's good and that He's got us. And we find life in that process. That's where we find Him. Job said this in verse 3 of 42, Who is this that observes my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. See, if we're trying to Define God based on circumstance, it will cause us to say things that are not based in any way on something that's real. And so we have to always look to the Scripture for our understanding of who God is and as it continues to grow. Third, it's about the gospel, not your God box. So let me, let me say what I mean by that. I think one of the reasons we have a tendency to try and define God and, and get Him into some manageable system is we think that what we're supposed to do is be able to explain Him to everybody else. That somehow we need to defend God on, on this journey. But he, it's not what He tells us. He tells us, ultimately, He wants us to trust Him in this process. So what we do need to be able to extend to people isn't a well-worked-out and resolved idea of how you know God fits into our box, but we need to be able to extend to people the gospel, the good news. See, because that's where the power is. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. See, the, Paul says it's the gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. It's the gospel that, that can rescue people from darkness and bring them into light. It's the, it's the gospel, the good news that can take people from bondage and slavery and bring them into the promised land. The gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8, Paul said, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you of first importance. Here comes the gospel. Next two verses. This is what you need to know. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's what people need to hear and receive by faith so they can come into relationship with Jesus. That's it. That's what they need to know. And, and see, the, the words they need to hear are, are that, that Jesus has come and died on a cross for their sins so that they can come home. 
He's a a loving dad that just wants his lost children to come home. And he's made a way. And it's the gospel that, that makes that way for them. And see, it's not about being able to explain every little detail because you can't. But, but sort of the, the greatest argument for, your, for, for God's existence is how He changed your life when you understood the gospel and received it by faith. What, what's happened since then? What's God done? How, how has He made Himself known to you? What does He continue to do? See, see that's what people need to hear and see in our lives. And that's what changes people. That's the message that changes people's hearts. So, so we need a bigger picture of who God is. And we need to embrace the mystery of faith so that we learn to continue to trust Him and hope in Him and know that He's good and know that He's God. It doesn't matter about circumstances. Just hanging on to Him and trusting in Him and letting His love flow through us and we love Him back and love others. That's where life is. And uh, that's where I'm going to end it for today. i got more to say, but I'll say it next week. Good enough for today. Ministry team, those here, why don't you head over the wall? People on the way over there are here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, then make sure you get it. But let me pray for you as a group. Papa, thank you for your goodness to us and your love for us. You're such an awesome God. You're so amazing, God. You're so much bigger than we can imagine. And yet you're, you love us and you, you woo us and you pursue us. And Lord, help us to to live in that mystery. To experience the fullness of life that you come for us to have. That that not only would we be changed, but but it would impact the world around us for you. That you would bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area. That hundreds and thousands of people would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray for every church in this area, God, where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you so much for including us in your story here in this time and place. You are such an awesome God. If you need prayer for anything this morning, folks over there will pray for you. Healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, whatever you got. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Let's take care of that today, too. It's humility and faith. In humility, it's just admitting to God you're broken like all the rest of us. You've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you, which you'll do, and then in faith. Inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you have never prayed a prayer like that, do it today. Best decision you will ever make. If you need help, you can ask somebody over there. I want to know Jesus. And they'll help you through a simple prayer. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, get it today. If you're going to stay and have lunch, Lord, thank you for the food you provided. Bless that, Lord, and everybody that makes it possible. You're such an awesome, awesome God. We love you so much. Praise God from whom all bless.
May the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace. And go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayers over there. Lunch will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Have a great and grand day. Catch some fish. Have some great fellowship. Have a barbecue. And uh, I don't know, whatever. Goodbye. <laughs>